Judges are the elected officials you are most likely to come into contact with uh, at some point in your life, right? If you get divorced, if you find yourself in a child custody battle, if you get in a car accident and you sue someone, um, if you get a traffic ticket, right? If you're you know, trying to settle a, a loved one's estate, right? Or um, facing eviction or for foreclosure, right? Like a judge is involved in every single one of those um, instances and, um, and those decisions are really impactful. Hello, welcome to the Cloudcast. I'm Alex Nitkin. I'll be your host this week. Voting is well underway in Tuesday's Illinois primary election and turnout has been low, in part because a lot of people are either intimidated or just apathetic about all of the races for little understood but very important offices like Secretary of State, County Assessor, State Legislator. And the most intimidating part of the ballot, and arguably the most important, will be the dozens of judicial candidates crowded at the bottom of that page. For a long time, the only way to be an informed judicial voter in Cook County was to either spend hours doing your own independent research or take the palm card that the Democratic Party precinct walkers put in your hand on the way into the voting booth. But now there is a third option, thanks to the nonpartisan investigative publication Injustice Watch, which has been putting out a comprehensive judge's guide before every local election since 2018. I sat down last week with Injustice Watch editor Jonah Newman at the publication's office in The Loop, where you'll occasionally be able to hear the train rolling by behind us for a little mark of authenticity. We talked about the judge's guide, how it's made, what it says, how it complicates the decision-making process that party slating has tried to simplify, and most important of all, why it really matters that you take the time to fill out all those slots on your ballot. So here is my conversation with Jonah Newman. So tell me first a little bit about Injustice Watch, about what it is and what kind of work you guys do on a day-to-day basis for people who may not be familiar. Sure. So Injustice Watch is a nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. We've been around for, I think it's about seven years now. Um, And from the beginning, um, have had a real focus on the Cook County court system and uh, in particular on judges. Um, I think from the, you know, the founders, really saw a, a gap in coverage um, and, and in accountability journalism around judges. Um, and, you know, here in Cook County, we've had our fair share of uh, judicial controversies and scandals over mm. the years. Um, and so I think, um, yeah, it's really been a focus of ours um, to, um, you know, report on judges, on, on the courts, on things happening in, in courtrooms, and also, um, since 2018 to put out a judicial election guide every year to help voters make more informed decisions about the people they're voting to become judges. So 2018 was the first year of the judicial guide. 2015 was the first year of Injustice Watch. I believe that's right. And I think there was sort of a a semi-guide in 2016 just about who the judges were that Mm -hmm. were running for retention. but yeah, it's, it's evolved over the years. So you know, each year we're getting a little better, we're incorporating more information, we're making it a little more sophisticated and user-friendly. Um, and yeah, I, personally, I think this year's our best one yet, but I'm biased. 2018 was a special year for judicial elections because I remember that was the year that there was the first non-retention in decades of a judge, of Matthew Coughlin. Um, do you feel like that being able to tell people about him and about those races was was sort of a, a factor in that or a part of that story? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think we would like to take some credit. I mean, obviously, there was, you know, there was a, a real um, kind of 
grassroots effort of advocates to mm-hmm. um, you know to really push uh, Matthew Coughlin out of office. But um, you know, I think we were doing our best to raise awareness about the stakes of judicial elections um, at the time. We also did you know reporting about uh, Coughlin's um, background and. Um, you know, controversial decisions and, and reversals and, and things like that. So, um, but I do think, I mean, and we've looked um, and, you know, we'll see this year, obviously we're expecting a low turnout year, but um, we have seen a growth in participation in retention races. And also I, mm. I think in, in judicial primary races, um, although primaries are a little more up and down yeah. kind of based on whether it's a presidential election year or not. But um, yeah, we, we've seen growing voter participation in these judicial races. And I would like to think that in Justice Watch, just by creating the atmosphere where, you know, explaining that this is an important part of your ballot, that this is um, these judges make decisions that impact everyday people's lives on a day-to-day basis, um, and also putting that information out to make it easier for people to vote for judges. I think we've hopefully had a role in that. Definitely. So when you say participation, you mean a degree of people who actually fill it out as opposed to just filling out the top things and then leaving it blank? Right. So we looked, I think, um, the most recent, um, you know, general election retention race um, in 2020, about three quarters of people who filled out a ballot at all voted in at least one retention race. Um, And that's been I think creeping upward. So there's still a quarter of people who leave the whole, you know, uh, lower portion of the ballot blank. But um, but I do think there are there's more people voting in it, you know, for judicial races overall. So you were talking about how the court system had been, and I, I'm sure you would join me in arguing, still is a very undercovered part of our government. It's this huge sector of the system that is not really reported on a daily basis. Um, we at the Daily Line have some sympathy for that, the, all the little nooks and crannies of government that peop- that tend to get overlooked because they're so obscure. So what is your guys' pitch when you're trying to enlighten people about judges at all levels and sort of the judicial system writ large? And they see this giant sea of names they've never heard of before. How do you get people to care and say that this is something they should really be researching before they vote on it? Yeah, so our pitch is that, you know, judges are the elected officials you are most likely to come into contact with uh, at some point in your life, right? Um, the odds that you ever run into the governor or certainly the president uh, are rare, and certainly they make decisions that have policy implications that, you know, filter down to, um, to folks. But I think, you know, if you get divorced, if you find yourself in a child custody battle, if you um, obviously are you know accused of a crime, if you get in a car accident and you sue someone, um, if you get a traffic ticket, right? So like, there's so many different ways that judges you know can come in into our lives and that their decision, the decisions they make, um, can really impact people, right? If you're you know trying to settle a, a loved one's estate, right, or um, facing eviction or foreclosure, right? Like a judge is involved in every single one of those um, instances and um, and those decisions are really impactful. It has to do with, you know, people's finances, people's housing, people's, you know, liberty. Um, so that's our pitch. I think mm-hmm. these um, the decisions judges make really, um, really do impact real people. So walk me through the process that you guys take. Uh, when exactly does it start? The primary, well, this is an atypical year. The primary is in June. Um, so at what point 
did you guys come together and start in the initial planning stages of this? And walk me through how long that takes to put all of this together, because it's a really comprehensive guide, um, and what the steps are. Yeah, so we start, honestly, about a year before um, the election. You know, some people announced that they're running for judge you know, that far in advance of, of the election. Um, obviously, the actual like formal filing period is um, you know, much closer. Um, but sort of as people start to announce that they're running or um, you know, often if someone's appointed to a vacant judicial seat, the chances are good that they're going to end up running for that seat mm-hmm. um, to try to hold on to it. So we start doing some initial research and, and trying to search sort of start to put together a, a list of who might be running even before people have formally announced that they're running. Um, and we, you know, are staff reporters and we have, you know, interns and residents who um, over the course of, um, of the last year have chipped in on researching candidates. And so that involves, you know, looking up news clips about things that they've done, you know, work they've done in the past, um, looking at the kinds of law they practice and cases they've worked on, um, looking into, um, campaign finance, who they've raised money from, um, looking at their, you know, community involvement. So, you know, this year we, you know, reached out ahead of time to sort of a a range of people who, you know, we know have an interest in um, the judiciary and and in the court system and said, what kinds of information were we not collecting before that you'd be interested in? And one of the things that kept coming up was, like, are these folks involved in their communities? Like, and in what Mm -hmm. ways, right? Um, And so we did our best to um, you know, a lot of people put that on their campaign websites, but we did our best to get gather that information, verify it, and help people see, like, oh, this person has been, you know, involved in these nonprofits, maybe, or they've done this kind of volunteer work um, to to try to round out sort of how um, you know information about how involved they they are in the community. Um, this year, we also sent out a survey uh, to every candidate, and um, I think got like a sixty or seventy percent response rate. Um, and so we asked questions about, you know, why do you want to be a judge? Tell us about your background and how it has influenced, the, you know, your practice of law. Um, what, you know, one of the questions was like, judges have all this power that we just talked about. Like, what, why do you want to have that kind of power? Like, mm-hmm. what, what makes you desire that sort of um, position of power? And um, the answers to that one were actually particularly interesting. You know, I think some people sort of pivoted and didn't really answer the question and talked about how being a judge is a, you know, they want to be a public servant and the importance of public service. But some people really did sort of engage with that question and, and the idea of um, of the power that judges hold um, over, over people. So, yeah, a lot of work, and we put all that together and then, um, you know, try to make it as user-friendly and accessible as possible. Did any of them say, I would like a $180,000 salary uh, job basically as long as I want it for the rest <laughs> of my life? No one said that. It's a 200000 plus now, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I think they, the, uh, the salary has gone up. Um, yeah, people do not say that, but I, I'm sure that is a motivation for some people. Um, you know, I, I think especially you see, you know, perennial candidates who have run for judge over and over again, and I have to imagine that the, the payoff of, uh, of that is, is what they're after. Because as we're going to talk about, it's, it's burdensome, it's hard, it's, it's expensive, and I mean, we shouldn't be too cynical. There are a lot of people who genuinely want to do public service, um, and then a lot of it, uh, historically at least, has just been about relationships and a sort of quid pro quo, and I'm glad that you brought up involvement in communities as an aspect of these campaigns, because I think that's a huge part of what we see in the Cook County Democratic Party slating process, which I think up until now, and arguably still is, a really key 
you know, metric or, or, or tool that judges use to get elected. Um, in the old days, it was just if you were slated, meaning if you were one of the endorsed candidates by the, the quote unquote machine, the Cook County Democratic Party, you would just pretty much become a judge. Um, nowadays, it's, it's a little more complicated than that. And there are folks running against the slate, but it's still a very powerful tool. I wonder what kind of judicial system do we get or have we ended up with from this kind of insular traditionally system of the party bosses pick who gets to be a judge? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, so I, first I should note, so the party, you know, the party central committee only- With um, a capital P with party. With a capital yeah. P party only um, slates candidates for countywide judicial seats. So there right. are there are countywide seats and then there are sub-circuit seats. Um, there's currently 15 sub-circuits in Cook County, right? Geographic districts, just like wards or, you know, or state house uh, districts. Um, and they were created in the uh, 90s, I believe, as a, a way to diversify the court, basically, mm-hmm. sort of to address some of, I think, what you're talking about, which is like you had the sort of party mm-hmm. basically handpicking judges, right? And there were obviously, you know, racial dynamics uh, at a play A bunch of there. old Irish guys with family connections to ward bosses was sort of the old cliche. Sure, exactly. And so I think, you know, there was a push to, um, you know, diversify the bench. And, um, and I think it's been successful to some extent. And so, you know, so you have, um, you know, people able to now elect judges from their community. Of course, once they're elected, everyone has the same job. There's no difference between a sub-circuit judge and a, and a countywide judge. Um, but yeah, so back to slating. So, you know, the Democratic Party does slate uh, candidates for these countywide seats. Um, if you've ever ever been to slating, it's, it's interesting. It's like, you know, basically everyone gets up and sort of, pledges their allegiance to the Democratic Party and mm-hmm. talks about, you know, how they've, you know, door knocked since they were 10 and been out there, you know, working working for the party. And those candidates, once slated, also have to promise to um, give, I think it's $40,000 to the party, which mm-hmm. they then, you know, basically supports their get out the vote and kind of campaign apparatus, right? So, um, you know, palm cards and flyers and yard signs and things like that. You know, I think it's the the machine, you know, quote unquote, I think has definitely lost some of its juice, right? So I don't know how um, influential those, you know, those party palm cards are these days. I would mm-hmm. guess they're certainly less so than they once were. Um, but yeah, I do think, you know, just having that apparatus mm-hmm. of, you know, I mean, it also like the, the party helps people circulate petitions to get on the ballot, right? They have the lawyers to make sure that you stay on the ballot and, mm-hmm. you know, withstand any challenges. So it definitely helps. Which is huge. definitely yeah. helps to have that behind you um, if you're if you're running for judge. But these are, you know, relatively low, um, you know, still even, you know, despite our best mm-hmm. efforts, relatively low information races, right? Mm-hmm. And so... I do think, you know, there's a certain number of people who, you know, someone from the party, someone from your precinct is standing outside your polling place. They hand you a palm card when you walk mm-hmm. in and you say, sure, I don't know anything else about these people. Why not vote for the people who the party has has recommended? And so I do think it definitely still still gives people a leg up. Right. I mean, traditionally, people would just have the palm card and it, you know, sometimes individual committeemen will switch things up in their own um, ward or township. But it would just be the palm card, and now you have the palm card, and you have the Injustice Watch Judges Guide, you know, and and maybe other independent research that you can do. But do you see um, the Judges Guide as an opportunity to sort of challenge that orthodoxy? Um, because 
the judge's guide also shows who is slated and has the little D next to their name. Do you see it them as sort of complimentary or, or um, that it is a way to kind of break down that uh, tradition of whoever's slated just gets gets the, the seat? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, we're, you know, we're not um, partisan. We're not the party. We're not endorsing candidates or telling people who to vote for. Um, I think we are trying to make these higher information races so that people have, um, you know, just have more information when they're going to the polls to vote for judges so there are options and, and they can make an informed decision on their own, they, whether they decide to vote for the party's mm-hmm. pick or someone else. Um, you know, I think we've dis- we have made the decision that, like, identifying who the party picks is important. You know, whether a voter interprets that as, oh, those are people who I should vote for, or a voter interprets that as, oh, mm-hmm. those are people who are politically connected and who I don't want to vote yeah. for. Like, like, that's up to each individual voter. Um, but for us, I think it's just an important piece of information, right, in addition to what kind of law have they practiced, what experience mm-hmm. do they have, um, what other endorsements do they have, who are they raising money from, all of that. And the way that the guide works, there are multiple different layers, right? So there are candidates who it'll say they're Democratic Party endorsed and they have a past controversy or they're Democratic Party endorsed and they are a former prosecutor or something like that. Why is it important to be able to have that sort of mixing and matching all the different elements together? Yeah, so I think we've, we, you know, we create these icons um, as just sort of uh, keys to help people sort of see at a top level, um, you know, what information we know about each of these candidates, right? So um, I think the you know former current or former prosecutor, current or former public defender um, came from a realization that like the prosecutor to judge pipeline is a well trod mm. one. Um, there's a lot of former prosecutors on the bench, um, and um, you know I think that has also been changing slowly over time. But I think um, and also honestly, there's just a lot of former criminal attorneys on the bench, even though mm. the vast majority of Cook County judges don't handle criminal cases. They mm. handle all kinds of other civil cases. Do um, you know why that is, that the mostly criminal attorneys end up as judges as opposed to, you know, property or... I mean, there's definitely a mix, and you definitely have those. You've got people who have experience, mm-hmm. you know, you've got kind of people who have been solo practitioners who have experience in all kinds of, you know, who do some criminal defense mm-hmm. and some family law and some divorce, you know, and some DUIs, and, you know, they do sort of a mix of things. But I, I guess think, the property tax lawyers all just become legislators instead. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's certainly, I'm, you know, just thinking of candidates running this year. There's, you know, there's also, um, I would say, pretty common theme of, like, people who work in other um government agencies as lawyers running for judge. So you have, you know, people who have been, um, you know, career attorneys in the city's law department, for example, or who, you know, work as attorneys in the clerk of the court's office or in the county clerk's office Mm -hmm. or, you know, things like that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it is probably that, like, some of it has to do with public service, some of it has to do with political connections, right? I mean, I think that's also true, right? The Cook County yeah. State Attorney's Office has also been a, um, a place with a lot of, you know, I know, it's where Daly worked before he became the mayor, mm. right? So you've got... Can be a pipeline for higher, for higher, higher office. Higher aspirations, yeah. It's interesting you talk about political connections and public service because I think that par- a big part of what slating is, is the sort of overlapping of that Venn diagram where... A big part of what was confusing for me about covering slating is that, you know, these other candidates for governor or assessor or what have you would come up and they would give their their pitches for their platforms and what they would do in office. 
A judge doesn't do that because you're not going to say, I'm going to rule this way or that way. Usually they just have to say, I'm going to be a fair judge. And so what it goes back to is things like either I'm loyal to the party or I work in my community or, um, you know, I represent diversity on, on the bench. There's one moment that, that I'll never forget from, I think this was 2020 slating, where a judge judicial candidate came up and sort of talked about their qualifications and then a committeeman stood up and said you say you'd be a qualified and fair judge but you didn't show up to a single one of my pancake breakfasts or paper shredding events that you put on how do you square those things like is it why is is that is there are they getting at something that like you need to be active in the community and you need to be like talking to local party people or is it something that is is there a value in kind of being detached and being fair that you can sort of see things from a distance? That's a great question. You know, I think there's a lot of things to think about um, when you're kind of making that choice about who, you know, who to vote for for judge. I think, um, you know, certainly past experience, um, what kinds of law have they practiced, how long have they been practicing law, how, you know, you know the things that the, the bar associations, which we can talk about, you know, the things they're often looking for are, yeah, sort of their the depth and breadth of their legal knowledge is something Mm -hmm. they often talk about or or their legal experience. Um, You know, have they handled complex cases in a courtroom, right? So there's, you know, there's obviously different kinds of law and some lawyers go into court all the time and they're arguing cases in front of judges and some lawyers are, you know, maybe working in a, you know, in an office where they're, you know, mostly handling administrative type things Mm or, you know, and so I think, um, Looking at what kind of yeah what kind of law and what kind of experience does someone have is uh, is certainly important. Um, yeah, I do think like community involvement and engagement with those issues. Um, you, know, you said they're not going to get up and say I'm going to rule this way or that way. They actually mm-hmm. aren't allowed to right. Like there's hmm. a Supreme Court rule um, that like judicial candidates and judges can't comment on how they're going to rule in a case right because mm-hmm. um, that's it's an ethical violation. Um, you know, but I do think how much do they understand the Laws, frankly, in the in the court system, right? The discrimination and, and racial disparities in the court system. Um, you know, questions like that, I think, are things that you can get judges to to comment on. Do they understand the need for more support for people who represent themselves in court, right? Who are mm-hmm. um, often you know poor, don't you know lack resources, um, and just you know the way that generally the court system has benefited people with resources uh, mm-hmm. at the expense of people without them. So I think. Um, yeah, looking at all those things. And, and that was, again, one of the things we tried to do with our survey this year um, and, and with the community involvement you know, portion of the, of the guide. It seems like there is a little bit of tension then in that people will try to promote community connections or qualifications. And thank you also for bringing us into like how judges are deemed as qualified, because I know that there are a lot of factors that can go, go into that and a lot of different agencies that rate them as qualified. So that's huge. Um, I think that we sometimes also see judges try to weave values, if not exactly platforms, into their um, messages just because it's a political campaign and sort of that's what you do. Um, I'm holding right now a flyer that I got uh, in a sub-circuit that I live in. I'm not going to name this person, this candidate, because they have enough (laughs) advertising as it is. I, um, I was saying before we started recording that basically you can't even see the the floor on in my apartment building uh, uh, entryway because it's covered with this this candidate's um, flyers and it says 
you know, a pro-choice candidate endorsed by Personal PAC, the, the abortion rights PAC. Is this something that we see with a lot of candidates? Is this something that sort of creeps in or, or because it's just hard otherwise to, to go just on, on relationships? Are they sort of getting close up to the line of impropriety there? Well, so I think, you know, there are obviously, you know, organizations that make endorsements in judicial races, right? Personal PAC is one of them. They're actually, you know, they don't, a lot like labor unions, right? Mm. They'll endorse one candidate per race, right? Say mm. this is the person in this race we think you should vote for. Personal PAC just endorses anyone who sort of meets their criteria for, um, you know, for values related to, you know, abortion rights. Um, and I think... Um, so Just based see, on their rulings, based on how they've ruled on No, so they, they actually, I think they send candidates a questionnaire about, oh, okay. um, you know, a, with a few different questions sort of about legal precedent related to abortion rights and, hmm. and sort of ask about their... Um, their take on those cases, I think. Um, but yeah, you'll see some races where every candidate is endorsed by personal PAC. Um, you know, and I think that's legitimate, obviously. Those, you know, those are, those endorsements are, um, you know, it is, it's an election, right? So mm. people are looking for, you know, for groups to endorse them the same way they go to labor unions, to, you know, the FOP, to the Chicago Federation of Labor, to, you know, other groups to, you know, for endorsements. And then the same way they go to, you know, other elected officials, politicians, committeemen, aldermen, mm -hmm. you know, state representatives to, to endorse them. We don't list all of those individual endorsements on our, um, in our guide, just because it would be, Overwhelming to try mm -hmm. to actually. Um, there are so many different groups that are getting involved here, especially on the labor side. Yeah, so we include the Chicago Federation of Labor, which sort of is mm -hmm. an umbrella organization of a lot of different labor groups, um, and they have a like they do endorse in every race, and they have a system for like mm -hmm. you know endorsing a, a candidate in each uh, each circuit and, and sub circuit race. So um, yeah, I think you know all of that is trying to right sort of. Uh, express the judges, you know, maybe values or connections, right? And, mm -hmm. and so sometimes those are the same, right? If you're endorsed in the same way endorsements work in any other race, right? Like if you're, you know, running for Congress and you're endorsed by Bernie Sanders, like that says something about your politics, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way that, you know, if you're endorsed by personal uh, pack, personal pack does, right? So I think that's sort of what they're going for. Um, but again, you know, the, the prohibitions about um, commenting on you know, pending or impending litigation or, or on an issue that could come mm -hmm. before them, um, you know, as a, if, if elected as a judge. So those can go into, and those questionnaires can talk about your, your reading of past precedent or existing precedent or how you've ruled in the past, but not, and that can sort of give you a clue into how you might rule in the future, but you're not allowed to talk about, you know, I would rule this way or that way. Right. You can't say, you know, I would, you know, if a case involving this came before me, mm -hmm. I would do this. Or, you know, if someone accused of, you know, uh, of theft came before me, I would give them the maximum sentence. Like, you mm -hmm. can't, uh, you know, say things like that. Got it. Let's talk about money then in the race. Um, I just mentioned how this candidate has been absolutely bombarding my neighborhood with mailers um, and even went, went up on TV, which is very rare, especially in a sub-circuit race. How much... I guess compared to previous races, if, if we know this, has money been a part of these judicial races and how do you spend money in a judicial race? Yeah, obviously, you know, same as other races, right? Yard signs, mailers, maybe TV commercials and, you know, rare cases, I think. Um, you know, these races, 
so again, so you know the the candidates who um, who are slated by the party, for example, in, in a countywide race, they have to give forty thousand dollars to support the party's you know election apparatus. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, I think that is sort of around the amount you you know you see uh, being raised by judicial candidates somewhere in that forty to fifty, a hundred thousand dollar range for a circuit court or sub circuit. Yeah, candidate? Um, you know, and a lot of that is you know money raised from family and friends or, you know, people who have the means often self, you know, um, self We're talking about lawyers campaign. who are in circles of other lawyers and they like to contribute money. For sure. And right. I mean, some lawyers like um, the the one you're mentioning, who you know, have made quite a good living uh, as corporate attorneys and, you know, have the means to self-fund. Um, 200 might be a uh, pay cut for them. Yeah, probably. Um, you know, I think other lawyers, you know, Cook County State's attorneys aren't making, you know, hundreds sure, of thousands yeah. of dollars a year, but they, you know, um, yeah, so, you know, they do have, you know, often, and, and I do think it, it's interesting to sort of, you know, there are definitely class factors at play, right, and sort of the ability to even get on the ballot, right, because to get on the ballot, you have to get signatures. To get signatures, um, often people pay paid, you know, circul- you know paid mm-hmm. circulators to, yeah. um, to circulate petitions. Um, you might then have to pay a, an election attorney to help you defend against a, a ballot challenge. Um, so even just to get on the ballot before you, you know, officially, uh, you know, are running for judge mm-hmm. um, or, or any public office, like there's costs involved. Um, Especially, I mean, in Cook County, we see ballot challenges are so aggressive. Um, that's like a campaign all its own to hire your own lawyers to stay on the ballot. For sure. Um, or to hire your own lawyers to challenge your opponents to exactly, try to, yeah, to, try if to you be want the to play last offense. one left. Yeah, exactly. That actually leads me into something else that I wanted to talk about, which is something that um, I had heard about and I was really glad that, that Maya Dukmasovan in Justice Watch wrote about, which is that we see are going to see many fewer candidates on this ballot than we do in a typical primary, I think 72 thereabouts is the total, 75 yeah. judges, and usually it's, it's upwards of 100. Um, and I, I mean, what, what what is that about? Do we know why that is? Yeah, so like you said, Maya wrote a story about this um, a couple uh, months ago. You know, I think it came down to the, the strange timing of this election, right? So right. Um, the June primary, when primaries here are typically in March, right? So um, that meant, you know, working backwards, people were ha- having to uh, circulate petitions back, like in the heart of winter, in the middle of COVID, right? Like it was just there were a lot of barriers to just getting on the ballot this year. Um, and, and the timing, I think you know, threw, threw things off a lot and, and just made it uh, made it more difficult. She actually talked to campaign consultants who said the cost of paid petition circulators was a lot higher. Like the going yeah. rate was higher this year than in the past because who wants to be circulating petitions in January? Mm-hmm. Um, where in the past it was like September that you were circulating petitions, which was like and kind you of a nice time of year to stand outside festivals. And, and yeah, stop, people right? were um, outside. Yeah, exactly. So I think those, those were the main reasons. Um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. You know, I think in some ways it's it could be better for voters, right? Mm-hmm. You've got fewer people to choose from, to fewer people to learn about. You know, there were races in the past where there were five, six, seven people running. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the most people running for a single seat this year is four. Mm-hmm. So there's just like a little bit less uh, research to be doing. On the other hand, like there's fewer options, and you know you may have um, situations where you've got a race where you're. You know, neither of the candidates are, you know, are people you're excited about. And, you know, there's not as many, obviously, options to, to choose from. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like most people's first thought when they learned that the primary was going to be in June instead of March was, oh, people are going to be able to campaign when it's it's nice out or 100 degrees out, as we've seen this this past month. But uh, I, I, this is something that, that really has come up um, that I think people didn't really think about is that this petition passing season being in the middle of winter. I mean, I have this this vivid memory of walking around and like, the dead of winter in January and this person held out a clipboard not even with like a pitch or anything just like please sign this like please get me back inside I have like a number that I have to hit um, so we'll see if you know there's talk about trying to make the Illinois primary as early as February in, in 2024 that would mean that um, you know that maybe even the July and August uh, festival seasons we'll be seeing a lot of uh, volunteers or, or paid staffers asking for signatures so consider that as one uh, ramification of that, I guess. Yeah, well, and, you know, I think it's, you know, we're seeing at least so far in early voting, um, you know, turnout is just so low so yeah. far this year. And obviously it's a, you know, midterm primary. So there's already sort of, you know, usually depressed turnout. But mm -hmm. I think just seeing, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the final numbers are and how many people vote on election day. But like election day is the week before July 4th. It's mm -hmm. like people are... I think already in like a vacation mindset often. Um, so I think it's definitely gonna affect, affect yeah. turnout, which obviously if you're a candidate could be a really good thing because um, you don't need as many votes to, to win, but, mm -hmm. um, but may not be as good for, for voters overall. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a low turnout race so far. And as we're recording this, it's what, five days until election day, till primary day. So that could always turn around. But not only is it, uh, a midterm year um, or a, you know, a gubernatorial election year when turnout is already lower, but there's not a contested Democratic primary for governor this year. Um, so the top of our ballot is going to be what? Secretary of State's race, which, um, you know, in our world, everyone is talking about, but most people are not too concerned about, you know, who's going to run their DMV. So, I mean, how does, how do, what do low turnout races mean for down ballot races like um, judicial races. Yeah, I mean, I think what you'll see, you know, especially in, you know, sub-circuits, it really does not take that many votes to win, right? There's no runoffs in judicial races. Mm. So, you know, the the winner of the primary, even if it's 50% plus one of the votes, like you win the primary. And in almost every, um, you know, vacancy, uh, with the exception of one sub-circuit in the Northwest suburbs, um, there's no Republican primary. It's only a Democratic primary. And mm. the winner of that, uh, of that primary is going to run unopposed uh, in the fall. And so I think you're going to see, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to make predictions, obviously, right, about who, who that benefits. But I do think um, it's, it's going to be maybe, you know, easier than ever um, in some mm -hmm. ways to become a judge um, because, um, the, yeah, that barrier to winning is, is so low. It's like each endorsement matters more, each uh, ad matters more, and maybe each person who looks at the Injustice Watch Judges Guide matters more. I'd um, like to think that. On that note, how are you guys getting the word out there? You have several thousand printed copies that you've been giving out. Um, and then, of course, it's online, uh, injusticewatch.org slash judges. Did That's I get that right? right? Yeah. Um, how are you guys getting this in, in front of people, and what kind of response are you hearing so far? Yeah, so we obviously, you know, the online guide is the kind of most complete version. Um, we also 
um, printed a, a kind of slightly abridged version uh, in print, which we distributed, um, like you said, 180,000 copies actually, um, wow. mostly through partnerships with other um, news organizations. So um, you'll find it in this week's Chicago Reader. Um, it was also in the Reader uh, edition a couple weeks ago. Um, we also partnered with um, the um, growing community media chain of papers. So that's the Austin Weekly and the um, some of the papers out in the western suburbs. Um, and then um, the Hyde Park Herald and Southside Weekly also also ran our um, our print version. So and then in addition to that, we've got, you know, we sort of recruited uh, volunteers to help distribute our guide throughout other neighborhoods in Chicago and, and throughout the suburbs. So um, we've got, there's a, there's a fairly new news organization called the Harvey World Herald in mm. Harvey, um, and they've been dropping copies of our print guide all over town in, uh, nice. in Harvey, and um, you know other folks who have been dropping them at libraries and churches and um, uh, the Cook know, County Jail, shops. right? Was yeah. that starting in 2020? Yeah, so 2020, we, um, we sent our guide to the Cook County Jail for the first time, um, where um, you know, where there is a polling site. Where yeah, there's a polling site, um, so people can vote in person in the jail. Because um, when you haven't been convicted yet, you have your 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 franchise has not been taken away, and so they're, they're voters in Illinois. Yeah, um, and actually, you know, Illinois also, you know, as soon as you are um, off. Um, you know, not incarcerated or released yeah. from prison, you also get your, your right to vote back. Um, so I think, yeah, so we, we uh, in 2020, we, we attempted to send them to the jail. We had reached out to them ahead of time, coordinated. They said, you know, send them to individuals in the jail through the mail and we'll make sure they get distributed. Um, and then the mail room, there was some miscommunication apparently, mm. sent them all back. Um, and so that year we um, fell know, off a delivery truck somewhere. Well, no, no, they actually they like returned a sender. They like okay. marked it as um, as contraband um, for some ah. reason, um, and so they sent them all. But they like literally all showed up back at our office. Oh my god! Um, and so that was the first time we said, "Hey, like now we have." Uh, 2,500 guides or whatever it was, can, can folks help us deliver them? Um, mm. And so this year we, um, I think the sheriff's office uh, felt responsible and, um, and actually helped coordinate distribution of the guides in the jail and, um, and folks who voted there were able to use our guides this year. Um, and then we also, um, again, have you know, been trying to distribute them all across Cook County, you know, recognizing that, you know, there's certainly people and, um, you know, neighborhoods that you know don't have the same mm -hmm. you know digital access as um, as other parts of the city and so wanting to make sure that we get our guide in, into as many people's hands as possible it's just kind of a, a nice little bit of poetic justice it seems that people who are literally in jail can have that power over the people who put them there right well yeah i mean in this case it'll be people who you know eventually might, might become judges and um mm -hmm. you know in the fall we'll be voting um voting retention That's for, right. for sitting judges um it, a good time to note though that you know when you vote for judges um you don't get to decide what kind of judge they're going to be so mm -hmm. um all kind of first-time judges start um first they go through sort of what you know what they call judge school or a little you know training um and then they all start in traffic court um which is you know mm -hmm. high volume and you know I guess considered relatively low stakes. Um, um, and then after some amount of time in, in traffic court, um, folks get transferred around. So um, mm -hmm. that's when you know um, the chief judge gets to assign um, judges to the different divisions of, um, of the Cook County Court. So voters don't get to decide what kind of judge someone's gonna be. That mm -hmm. you know, ends up um, being a decision made by the chief judge and the presiding judges of those divisions. 
I see now why it's not allowed for candidates to say something like, I'll throw out all your traffic tickets if uh, I get elected, because that would be a winning strategy, I think. Definitely. All right. Is there anything else that you want people to know about Injustice Watch or about the judge's guide or who's running uh, in this primary? Yeah, again, I mean, I think it's important to note. So, you know, in the primary, you're electing uh, candidates to an open seat, right? Like I said before, um, in Cook County, because uh, it's so heavily Democratic, um, the vast majority of people run as Democrats, run in the Democratic primary, and will not face a challenger in the fall if they win. Um, and so, you know, there are once someone becomes a judge um, on the circuit court level, it's a six-year term, and then they run for retention um, in the fall, which is just sort of a, a up or down yes/no vote. So if they get um, at least sixty percent yeses, mm-hmm. they get to stay in office. Um, and like you mentioned at the beginning, that historically has not happened very often. We've started to see it happen more recently. Twice in the past, what, 30, 30 40 years? years? Yeah, twice and that was in, in 2018 and 2020. Uh, correct, yeah. So twice in the last 30 years, um, a sitting judge has um, has been voted out of office. So I do think these primary elections matter a lot because once someone is elected a judge, the odds that they're going to be um, kicked out of office or not reelected are, are pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're going to get to hold on to that seat for basically as long as they want until they retire or die or decide to, to leave office. And so I think, um, yeah, I would just encourage people to pay attention, to check out the Injustice Watch uh, Judicial Election Guide. Um, again, that's injusticewatch.org slash judges. Um, and, and become an informed judicial voter because I do, I really think it matters. Jonah Newman is editor of Injustice Watch. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. If you're listening to this on Monday, Election Day is tomorrow, June 28th. So do not forget to vote if you haven't yet, either at an early voting site today or at your precinct location tomorrow. And before you do, check your judges. Just like Jonah said, you can go to injusticewatch.com judges, fill out a sample ballot using their cheat sheet, and then you can print it out and take it into the voting booth with you. If you don't already have a plan to vote, go to chicagoelections.gov if you live in the city or cookcountyclerkil.gov slash elections if you live in suburban Cook County to figure out how you can make your voice heard. This episode of The Cloudcast was produced and edited by me, Alex Nitkin. Have a wonderful 4th of July, and we'll be back with another episode in two weeks.